Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the sun that's coming in the windows, the reminder, whether it's the pollen or just the green, Lord, that uh, you are the one who brings new life. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done and how you have provided for us in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, doing what we could not do to be our deliverer, to rescue us from all of sin's consequences. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us, soften our hearts. It's a hard lesson. Uh, There's a lot of hard stuff in Lamentations. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be with me as I speak. You would be with all of us as we reflect on your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you would use this time to shape us, to be more like Jesus, so that we could display his glory more uh, in the places where you have us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, hang on, let me get my timer started. Okay, uh, I have um, store. my body tells stories. Yours does too. So here I have a scar on my chin. That was a car accident. This one here, I have a matching one on my eye. Um, I have a burn on my hand. That's from when I was 16. Um, I have another scar on my neck from surgery. And uh, I've got... Uh, some scars on my legs from different cuts. Uh, Those scars have stories, and I'm assuming, unless you've lived a different kind of life than I've lived, your body has scars too, and they each have stories. Um, We also have both, I trust, not only myself, but you as well, have the unseen scars and wounds that we just get as we go through this life. And it is a hard world to live in sometimes. And relationships are broken and people's words hurt. Um, You and I haven't gotten to the age that we are without being harmed and without harming. You and I have harmed people. There are people walking around with their scars that are not visible or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some scars that are visible. Hopefully that's not you. Um, maybe that happens. Uh, but those are from us. There are people who might be in therapy because of things I said to them or how I treated them. Um, <clears throat> we live in a world with high stakes. It's complex. Our decisions actually matter. Our words and our actions, even when we're six, we're 15, we're 25, we're 35. We don't have the wisdom at that time. We're just kids, right? We're just young. And yet they actually, I have, I have voices like tapes in my head of like things that 11 year olds said to me. And that's part of the scars and the, the wounds that I bear, right? I'm assuming that you've that too. And maybe probably it's very likely some people have those tapes with my voice in them. Um, so There's some weight in that. And here's where I'm going with this. Uh, Our actions have consequences. That's how this world works. That's the God's economy. That's how he made it. Um, And this is heavy. Uh, So yes, you're right. I started with a heavy illustration. We are getting into some heavy stuff tonight. Um, And so our actions have consequences. They're often bigger and more impactful than we anticipate. And so remember when we started our study like way, way, way back, for those of us who were there at the beginning of September, we, we we came in 
to the book of Kings where Solomon was king. And uh, the kingdom was reunited and Solomon was King David's heir. And it just might, I mean, if we didn't know the rest of the story, if we were there, we were like, oh, he could actually be the promised son who's going to build the temple and going to bring peace and prosperity to God's kingdom. Um, And so we get to that Solomon built and consecrated the temple and God heard him. And so just as a quick background for us, like where are we going with this? I want us to think back where we started from. Um, so open with me your Bibles or turn them on to 1 Kings 9, 1 to 9. We're just going to read this together um, and as part of the introduction, so I'm not going to belabor it, but I want us to think about the fact that we are going somewhere and way back here, God said that actions have consequences. And he said that for specific situation for the kingdom of Israel. Um, First Kings 9, <clears throat> verse one. As soon as Solomon finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, yay, that's good, right? Um, and he consecrated it in chapter eight, this huge high like priestly prayer, um, verse two in chapter nine, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you've built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father saying, you shall not lock a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commands and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, verse seven, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. He's talking about the temple. I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done this to thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So um, there are consequences. God will not be mocked. Here we are at the end of the kingdom. Um, Solomon did that in chapter 11. We saw Solomon was not faithful to the Lord. And his sons have proved successively uh, also unfaithful. And so uh, this is exactly coming to pass. And Lamentations is a poetic meditation on this reality, that God's word proved trustworthy here. Sin has consequences. Um, and it is a, uh, <clears throat> of Jerusalem, the city of uh, Babylon came in in 586, 87 BC. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm losing my voice. 
Um, <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, so God's word will prove trustworthy. I think that's one thing we can learn right away. One, sin has consequences. Two, God's word is trustworthy. Sin has general consequences. You and I know that. It's just the suffering we experience just living in this world. Uh, This week, I've been to two funerals of people who have lost loved ones. Um, There are people who have headaches. Maybe you've had cancer, uh, going through breakups. There's just this world is hard, and there are hard things as a part of it, and there's suffering that's general suffering, and it's right to lament these things before God. But lamentations comes in a very kind of more specific space because sin also has specific consequences. And most people would agree, even though uh, they might disagree about what sin is or what the wrong is, but most people would agree that wrong things have bad consequences, that sexual abuse and uh, racism, uh, murder, those things cause harm. And while we agree in principle, I think most humanity, we probably agree in principle about that. Um, it is hard, and I think it's un- kind of a universal human problem. We don't really like looking at the consequences of the wrong things that, that we do. Uh, it's often very hard to say, I'm sorry. Have you experienced that? Um, and it's hard, like, even after you said, I'm sorry, to repair the things that whatever you did to your friend or your mom, uh, to your neighbor, to make it right. Um, And we don't like acknowledging the harmful consequences of our wrongs. I'm going to call those wrongs sin because we're here in God's economy. Um, The whole premise of the scriptures is that God is the creator of all things and he owns this world. That your life and my life are accountable to him and that he has the right to say what is wrong and what is right. And so he calls that wrong, wrong thing, sin. And so that's the language I'm going to use here. Um, you might disagree with what the scripture says about what is right and wrong. And you and I can talk about that. I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, but that's the language I'm going to use here. Like the wrong things that God says are, the things that God says are wrong, as we're going to call those sin. And lamentation just really sits in this space of the reality that specific sin has specific consequences and those consequences cause suffering. And so what are we to do with that? I'm assuming if you just think about a time when you did something that was wrong and it impacted you and or other people, what do you do with that? Like, how do you move on? Um, Lamentations models for us turning to God in that, that it's good to lament suffering to God, even suffering that comes about as our, his own just consequence on our sin. Um, it's also good to acknowledge that sin and ask God to help us deal with the earthly consequences. He may not, and oftentimes he doesn't, remove the earthly consequences. I'm going to have these scars for the rest of my life. I mean, my earthly life, till I get a new body, right? But they have healed. There's been substantial healing. Um, the Lord can help us with that. And so for those of us who are Christians, we know by, that by God, by grace through our faith in Christ has delivered us. 
thankfully, from what we could not do, the eternal consequence of our sin. He has saved us from sin's eternal penalty. Um, And we can trust that our sin debt is paid as the scriptures attest. And when we repent, and as 1 John 1, 9 says, we confess to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But what do we do as Christians with the earthly consequences of our sin? When your gossip broke relational trust, your laziness made meant that you were the person who, yeah, got laid off from your department. Um, your past use of pornography has messed up your understanding of what God intended sex to be within marriage. Um, I think sometimes, as even as in the Christian community, we acknowledge that sin is bad and has consequences, but we just sort of want to move on and say, the Lord's forgiven us, we're restored, and that is totally true. And yet we are still left with those earthly consequences. Um, what do we do with them? Romans eight twenty eight is true, um, but it's very trite when you're going through something hard that, yeah, okay, if that was your fault that, you know, you got in that car accident and you're, you know, somebody, a friend says, well, God will work out all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose and for his glory. And that is totally true but it's hard to be in there. What are we supposed to do with that? And I think Lamentations helps us enter in that space we're not very good at. We need to learn what does it look like to put the light of God into our wrestling and our suffering with sin-specific consequences. That makes sense? Yeah, somebody... (laughs) with me. Okay. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. Okay. Let's get, let's dive in. Um, okay. That's why I think we can learn since earthly consequences should propel us toward God. Since earthly consequences can, should propel us toward God. The Lord is merciful. And as we'll read in chapter three, he promises to deliver all who wait for him and trust in him. Okay. Here's our plan. We are not going to do Lamentations justice. There is just so much beauty here. We're going to hit the highlights. You're going to um, hopefully spark your curiosity for your discussion. And then this studying the Bible is a lifelong project. So hopefully uh, you, the Lord will draw you back and draw me back into studying Lamentations. We're going to look at two divisions and they're not sequential. <laughs> so sorry about that. Um, five chapters. Uh, the first uh, chapter, chapter one, chapter two, chapter four is, I suggest to you, here's a big theme, looking with God at sin's earthly consequences, looking with God at sin's earthly consequences. And then Lamentations three and Lamentation five, sort of the, the, so what the centerpiece, um, of Lamentations is remembering God and holding on to him while we're suffering all kinds of suffering, but including and especially suffering that we've brought in on our own lives. So, um, this, uh, there's, let's dive on in. Um, there are four chapters. So open your Bible up, turn it on to Lamentations. Um, there's a whole lot of chaos that was going on. I mean, I've never been in a city that's been taken over and destroyed. The heap of rubble, um, thankfully, some of us have probably seen pictures of war-torn areas, and that's very devastating. And so this Lamentations feels as if it's coming from an eyewitness, which is one of the reasons why 
uh, traditional understanding has lamentations being authored by Jeremiah. And so um, the theology and the ideas also synchronize, synchronize with what is in Jeremiah, but also other places like Deuteronomy. And uh, Lamentations is also written by a very skilled writer and speaker. And so we are in BSF, the lesson, the notes are holding to that, uh, that Jeremiah is the author of Lamentations. I'm going to be a little more reserved when I talk here. Because I think one of the things that Lamentations does, it's poetry. And as you'll talk about in your groups, there's different pronouns and sometimes they shift very rapidly. And there's, uh, I think we're supposed to wrestle with uh, who are those different identities. And Lamentations, if you look at it, chapter one, verse one, it starts off with poetry. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. That's very different from other poetry that we've read, even Jeremiah that has a little header and says the oracle of Nahum or whatever. And so um, when I do that, when I refer to the speaker, I'm not denying that it it could be uh, Jeremiah just encouraging us to wrestle with that um, a little bit. So um, let's look at chapters one, two, and four together, looking with God at sin's earthly consequences. These chapters use an acrostic pattern. Chapter three also does in a little more intense style. So each verse uh, starts with a successive letter of the alphabet in the Hebrew text. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so that's why this whole poem is written where the chapters are multiples of 22. And so um, it starts off chapter one, two, and four start off actually with this, the same word um, in Hebrew that's translated how, um, and sort of an expression. Uh, and I, I suggest to you that that first section, uh, that first expression is captures a theme, a, a central idea. How lonely is Jerusalem? Um, chapter one. Chapter two, how angry is the Lord, how the Lord in his anger. So it's focusing on the Lord um, in his anger. And then chapter four, um, sorry, there's a lot of flipping here. How the gold has grown grown dim. So how tarnished, really, how how darkened. Um, Each one of these chapters has, I suggest you basically follow a threefold pattern. Um, The first is taking a courageous look at from God's perspective at sin's consequences and really on that theme that, that's laid out in verse one. The second part, uh, it gets more personal and oftentimes we're looking at the same thing, but, but the, it's rotated sort of like you're looking at a diamond and I mean, it's a hard diamond to look at, but um, you'll see different speakers and different perspectives usually is the second part. And then the third part is an appeal. It can be intertwined with this personal view or perspective or lament, um, but it's really saying what should be done. And so uh, chapter one, just briefly, how are we doing on time? Okay. Um, How lonely Jerusalem dwelling place of the Lord is desolate. And so in verses one to 11a of chapter one, Jerusalem is personified. It's, this is poetry. Uh, As a disgraced woman, she is lonely and distressed. Her former companions and slash lovers have abandoned her. And this is not just a turn of fortune or 
wow, it's so hard to live in this world where people aren't nice to you, which is totally true. But this is a direct result the text wants us to see of her own sin. And so look at uh, verse five. Uh, Her foes have become the head and her enemies prosper because the, the Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Verse eight, Jerusalem sinned grievously. Uh, Therefore, she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Sin has consequences. And this proves indeed that God keeps his word. He's right about sin. Um, Some people, and I'm sure you've heard this, um, sometimes maybe we think this too, like, oh, uh, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Like, you know, hell will be filled with lots of fun people. Like, we'll just go that way. And, you know, there's a big crowd and we can be all together. No, no, no. Sin alienates. There's no lasting companionship in that. There's no fun um, in uh, the consequence of sin. It destroys. And so we see in the, uh, the second half of chapter one, um, uh, starting in 11b, and then through verse 22, the end, those two parts, and they're, they're in this first chapter intermingled. So the first, it starts out with an appeal uh, for, to God and others to take notice in verse 11b and 12. Look, O Lord, and see, for I am despised. Is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see is there, if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord afflicted on the day of his fierce anger. And so she goes on, and in verses uh, 13 through 19, with the exception of probably 17, which seems to be a summary verse, um, Jerusalem is, seems to be telling her neighbors, or at least just saying out loud, for her neighbors, the neighboring countries, to hear this is what has happened to her. And so um, she's going to tell her neighbors about her suffering. But again, this is not just plain old suffering like that's common in this world. Uh, and Jerusalem knows it and admits it. She recognizes that her sin provoked God's judgment, and she wants other people to know it too. So look at 14. Um, my transgressions were bound into an oak. By his hand, they were fastened together. Um, they were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden in a wine press, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. A comforter is far from me. One to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. And so chapter 17 is sort of that summary verse, and it launches us ahead in some other chapter. Chapter four especially picks up these themes. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. So did you hear that? Jerusalem agrees with God about her sin. Um, verse 18 and 19, she, she makes it very clear. The Lord is in the right. For I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young men and my, my young women and my young men have gone into captivity. 
I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Um, this, there is a kind of distress that laments that sin is wrong and sin's consequences are not what God purposed for us. And so you may wonder, I may wonder, um, what are you supposed to do when you're in the midst of your own sin's consequences? Can you lament to God about that? I mean, it's your own fault, right? But lamentation seems to say yes. In fact, that's a good thing to propel yourself toward the Lord. Um, Jerusalem's words appear, in my view, I suggest to you to be modeling the right response to sin's consequences. Um, She's not, Jerusalem is not saying these earthly consequences are unfair or God so mean. No, she's saying this is just. And in fact, she goes on her appeal then Uh, to the Lord in verse 20 to 22 is to say, Lord, more justice, please. Not for me. (laughs) I mean, maybe she does for her, but it seems like she's repentant. Um, But for the neighbors and because the nations um, have been doing evil, look at verse 22, let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you've dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Um, So that's really humbling to say, Lord, you've been just with me. Please continue your justice. And I wonder, um, how willing are you to do this? To sit in the place of your sin and know that in Christ you are forgiven and yet to grieve with God that your heart and your life is still shaped desiring in a way to transgress against his law in a way that he needs to be disciplining you. We can pray. I mean, that's really hard, right? I mean, I don't, (laughs) I am not good at this. Um, So, I I think there is a call for us to be willing to sit and to grieve, um, not just the, yeah, and to grieve our sin before the Lord um, and the consequences and cry out to him in that. Okay, chapter two's theme, um, how angry is the Lord? We're gonna follow those same three parts. Um, We're taking a hard look. That's in verses one to 10. And this emphasizes, this hard look emphasizes that sin is a personal offense against the holy God. He is gonna oversee sin's consequence. Sometimes we sin against people, um, but all sin, because it happens in God's kingdom, is against him. And um, so God, the contrast here is, is stark. It didn't have to be this way. And so that's the sense we get throughout, but we're, it's building here. God is postured to bring blessing, um, but like he's talks about, he has not remembered his footstool on the day of his angry. Uh, on David's anger, two verse one, um, Jerusalem has so provoked the Lord. Verses three to seven, he has turned enemy to his own capital city. He has gone and ravished his own palace. He had no other recourse. He's cut down in first fierce anger. Verse three, he has bent a bow like an enemy. Verse four, uh, he has killed all who are delightful in our eyes. Verse five, the Lord has become like an enemy. 
He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces and laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has even scorned his altar. Look at that, verse seven. Disowned his sanctuary. He, was, he has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. Um, <clears throat> and so we shift after uh, verse 10. It seems that there's an abrupt shift in speaker. Uh, verse 11 starts with the first purpose in speaker who is, seems to be uh, an eyewitness to this travesty and um, is really broken up about it. Verse 11, my eyes are spent with weeping, my stomach, stomach turns. He's looking at sin's consequences and grieving it. Lord, I mean, friends, do we do that? When you and I see sin's consequences in other people or in corporate groups that we're a part of, do we grieve that? Or do we, I mean, there is like, oh goody, they're going to get, you know, I mean, ugh, that's not a good, uh, that's not a, a blessed attitude or a regenerate attitude. Um, or uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, a renewed attitude. There we go. Um, and so this, uh, this, he, this eyewitness uh, identifies with the daughter of Zion, that is Jerusalem. He speaks out. Uh, again, people have seen this as uh, Jeremiah speaking, and certainly he was, uh, it's possible and even probable. But um, he, again, is lamenting that the, the, what has happened is the opposite of what it should be, verse 12, and he upholds this as sin's consequence. Um, verse 14, he says that, basically, your prophets are false. Um, they've seen you oracles that are false and misleading, and uh, the Lord is justly carrying out his word. Verse 17, uh, the Lord has done what he purposed. He carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He is thrown down without pity. He's made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. And now that wasn't, that's not godly that the enemies have rejoiced. And so we even looking up one verse in verse 16, the enemies are crying out, ha ha, we've swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we have longed for. Now we have it, we see it. So that's the kind of thing where, the, where Jerusalem was saying, please, if you've been just to me, please also be just to those who are oppressing me. Uh, and then the third part we go into, so we did, uh, we look, took a hard look and then we, look, we had a different perspective from a, 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 and a lament. And then verses 18, and 20, 18 to 22 is really an appeal. What should be done? The main appeal in verses 18 to 19, those in Jerusalem should cry out to the Lord, wake up people cry out to the Lord. And this is not just in private prayer, but like, like let's cry out together. Verses 18 and 19, uh, like 18b, give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. And so then going on, 18 and 19, there's a shift. Um, so that's an appeal to appeal to the Lord. And so verses 20 to 22 are that, is that appeal to the Lord? Now that could be, um, I suggest to you, it's that speaker get, helping the God's people know what to say. 
Like these are the kind of things that we should be saying. Look, O Lord, and see with whom have you dealt thus? Verse 20. Um, And like 22, you summoned as if to a festival day my tears on every side. And on the day of the Lord's anger, no one escaped or survived. Um, Okay. And so that's the, that's the core request, uh, that the Lord would see them. And uh, we seem invited as if they're saying, if this is a model appeal, that God's people would invite the Lord and others into seeing the wreckage that our own sin has caused. How willing are you to look at your sin and its consequences and invite others to do that too. I don't know about you, but that is the opposite of what I want to do with my sin. It's like, hey, come on, come on in. I need your help praying about this. Um, okay, moving on to uh, chapter four, the last that ha- last acrostic poem. It's a little bit different. Um, shorter stanzas. There's only two lines for each letter instead of the oh, chapter one and chapter two had three lines for each letter of the alphabet. And so, but we have that same three parts, taking a hard look, we've got three perspectives, and then the appeal. And so, we see in chapter four, uh, basically four through ten, is uh, taking a description of sin's consequence on God's people, but the perspective also seems to be um, from outsiders. Uh, And there's what is, so verse one, how the gold has grown dim. And we're like, oh, well, that's just gems. But look, uh, verse two, the precious stones of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. And it seems that the imagery shifts to say what was really valuable in Jerusalem was not just the gold and the jewels and the fact it was a nice city, but that the people were there. The people, what was valuable. And again, it didn't have to be this way. That's the tragedy. If you have you know, maybe you know somebody in your life or like a celebrity, like they have so much talent and it's, they're going to be awesome. And then their life is just a train wreck. Like, and that's this really sad thing, a perspective that, uh, Delta, that difference. And so we have then, uh, moving on to that middle section of just looking at different perspectives of the Lord's judgment on his people. And there's, it seems like there's three, this chapter is a little bit different, Um, There's the heavenly view starting in verse 11. The Lord is doing this for, it seems that verse 13, the sins of the religious leaders. And then um, perspective number two starts in about 15. Jerusalem's neighbors, um, away, away, unclean, the people cried at them. Um, And so basically the Lord has sort of, uh, not sort of, but but not let other nations absorb them. There's something, he's keeping them a separate people and um, they're more outcasts. And he's keeping them distinct from others. We can see in verse 12, 14b and 15 and 16. Uh, Verse 17 seems to be a hinge uh, where there's a shift in instead of um, this third person that's more uh, maybe a, just a distant speaker or the nations. Now it's our, our eyes have failed ever watching vainly for help and are watching. We watched for a nation which could not save. And so um, the perspective three that we're getting here in this lament is the internal perspective from God's people. Um, 
And where can they go? They need deliverance. And there's not another nation that can help them. And uh, our pursuers are swifter. They chase them. They lie in wait for us in the wilderness. End of verse 19. 20 is very poignant. Um, The breath of our nostrils, or it could be translated anger, um, the Lord's anointed that, or could be translated Messiah, was captured in their pits of whom we said under his shadow, we, will li- we shall live among the nations. If you think about the Lord's promised anointed Messiah, and I take that as David's kingly heir to God's covenant promises, the one they were waiting for is now taken in captivity. And we saw that at the end of Kings, and we saw that at the end of Jeremiah as well. Um, and he's literally in a pit. He was imprisoned until the Babylonian king let him out. What are they to do? God's people, he the Davidic king is, was their hope um, that God would be the conduit of God's blessing. And he, their very spirit uh, or breath has been captured. And so we have then an appeal. It's surprising because we think, well, the appeal should be uh, under the Lord, but it's rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom. That's bizarre, right? Um, you who dwell in the land of us. So Edom was a Southern neighbor to Judah. But to you also the cup shall pass. Speaking the cup of God's judge judgment, just judgment, you shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. And so there is, uh, there's a warning here for Edom and an appeal to Judah. They now now they can and should look for something else. God is going to shift and show them mercy. Uh, and so this is, this, what happened here is, is historic fact. In 586, 587 BC, we're not sure exactly what, what year that is. Like this has historically happened. There's lots of sources, not just from the Bible, but lots of written ancient sources and archaeological evidence, like the Babylonians did come and take Jerusalem away. And so nobody disputes that. Um, What is disputed is what does it mean? Um, Who should take notice? Uh, What happened to Jerusalem and the Jewish people in and after their exile to Babylon seems like it, we're invited in Lamentations to see that as a warning to other nations. If God judges his people thus, Will he not judge other nations? Yeah. He is just. He will judge. Every nation and every person should take that to heart. That would be wise. So principle, I think we can learn. uh, Seeing sin's consequences encourages us to stop sinning. Seeing sin's consequences. This is a lot of chapters of sin's yucky consequences should encourage us to stop sinning. These are sin's earthly consequences, to clarify. For these specific sins, and God told them what the consequences were going to be, right? And we read a little, little bit about that in 1 Kings 9. Um, this, this physical, like this was a day of judgment, the day of the Lord, but a little one. And the Bible teaches there is a big one coming, a bigger one at the end. And so Which do you think is going to be bigger? The little one or the final one? (laughs) Yeah, friends, we should, 
like as terrible as this is, we should take it to heart that there is another day coming where the consequences of sin will not just be earthly, but will be spiritual and will be eternal. That final judgment. What does it look like for you and for me to take that to heart and to live our lives knowing that God has given us opportunities to live out the gospel in his way and to plead with the Lord that others might um, come and take refuge in Christ. Um, seeing sin's consequences encourages us to top, stop sinning. I was thinking about America's Funniest Home Videos because I'm old, but I'm sure there are lots of viral videos you know, of doing things that are stupid. And the point of the thing, the point of the video is don't do this stupid thing. I mean, there's some videos showing people doing foolish things and they actually want people to do that. Tide pods or whatever, you know what I mean? But I suggest to you that God in his word, um, he gives us these kind of examples of this is what, it's not gonna turn out different for you. If you have a divided heart against, you know, with the Lord, you love the Lord and you love other things, you're putting idols before him, whatever those might be. Do we think we're gonna get a different result? Do we think he's not going to discipline us? Um, a little shouldn't hurt. It's fine. Do we say that? Do you say that? My, my heart says that. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, you and I should be warned and take this to heart. Um, sin's earthly consequences should propel us toward the Lord. Okay, uh, chapter three and chapter five, this is the heart of the book. Um, and so I didn't leave us any time to talk about that. And I'm so sorry. Um, really remembering God while suffering. There's three sections in chapter three. I'm just gonna tell you the sections and invite you to read it in your group. Um, in verse chapter three, verses one to 18, the man, the man, um, from three one laments that God is acting as his enemy, and he, he describes that very poetically. And um, oh, I was going to talk about Jesus there. Okay, well, um, three nineteen to three thirty six, the man remembers God while he suffers. Um, and then thirdly, uh, three thirty seven to three sixty six, the man appeals to the Lord. What should be done? In 37 to 41, I think is sort of the heart of that little bit. He appeals to God's people. Um, and then he's saying like, appeal to the Lord. We can hope in his character. That's, that's who we should turn to. And then in 42 to 66, there's a double appeal. Again, we have like in chapter, end of chapter two, the man is appealing to God and also exhorting and teaching the people of God how to appeal to the Lord. And the good news is, that God's people learn. By the time we get to chapter five, there is a corporate appeal, we and our. So they're learning. Um, And so uh, I suggest to you, I'll say this. Um, You know, a lot of people take uh, the man to be Jeremiah and that's totally uh, in like 118. Um, The trick is here, Jerusalem's sin was corporate. And the speaker identifies personally with Jerusalem's judgment so much that he interprets God's judgment of Jerusalem as God judging him. The Lord has pierced my kidneys. Um, And so, uh, I mean, it's all throughout that. 
I, so who is the speaker? Um, it also, I mean, it could be Jeremiah, but it, there are hints of it. I think if we see, if we remember Isaiah 53, the idea that, and we just read about it in first Kings nine, the King is both himself as an individual, but he also has a corporate identity that he's the head. And so Solomon's sin meant that Israel went into exile. Um, and so there we could see, um, it, we can hear echoes, or I suggest to you there are echoes um, in Matthew 27 and Luke 19 of Jesus, the true king and heir for King David. And he is also the true prophet too. So he's the, the ultimate um, Jeremiah, capital J, um, similarly laments Jerusalem's sin and its consequences. And he became the true representative and he bore the full force of our iniquity and God's wrath on the cross. And so that, friends, is really where we have to go. Because you and I are stuck. We, our actions have consequences and they're bad. Um, where can we go? Um, he is our only deliverer. There is no other hope that we have. Um, as one of my friends noted, the Lord will bring just judgment, this I'm quoting this friend, um, against the just acts of the wicked and the unrepentant. The only hope for a sinner is to cling to his great love and mercy expressed to us in Christ. The Lord promises in Christ to save the repentant from sin's wreckage. Um, at the end of all things, he certainly will from the presence of sin's uh, the wreckage. But even now in this life, uh, he shows his faithfulness to deliver. And so I encourage you, I encourage myself to uh, lean into the Lord, to allow our eyes to see and lament the ways that our own sin and our own corporate sin, like maybe our church has harmed or our nation has corporate sin and the way that we can lament that and that leads us, pushes us into the character of God and lets him work in our hearts and shape us more like Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, your kindness. Thank you that you meet us uh, where we are. We cannot deliver ourselves. We can't get out of the mess spiritually or earthly wise that we get ourselves into. Lord, you are only help and deliverance. Your character is the only compassion and mercy that we can count on. Lord, would you be with us now as we continue to wrestle with your word? And I pray that you would keep doing your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.